all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We are taking your calls during this hour concerning any kind of health-related issues that you might have, or maybe it's a friend or somebody in your family. We would love to hear from you this morning. You can reach us at one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or if you can't call right now, uh, feel free to send us an email. You can send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. Hope everybody's having a great day. Stay cool out there. Heat index right around 100 today, uh, as it has been for quite some time, particularly here in central Mississippi. Not really any rain in the forecast that I can see, except maybe a late afternoon shower. Um, There is a lot of other health-related things going on in the news. We're going to try to tackle a couple of things because we've been out uh, with uh, uh, the last couple of weeks. I've been out just to give sort of an update on COVID-related things. I'm sure everybody's probably inundated with COVID information. I want to try to give you some good information uh, that can equip you to make the right decisions and choices that you need to make concerning COVID in your life, uh, and also maybe to clear up any kind of misconceptions that people have. And then we also have some time to catch up on a couple of emails that uh, our listeners have uh, have sent in. I've almost said patients there have sent in. <laughs> Get in the habit of doing that. Um, was able to take a little bit of time off. I hope you're able to do that too in uh, different ways, of course, with uh, all the, the things that are going on with COVID. But that is important for your mental health. I know it's important for mine uh, that you do something for yourself, uh, small things each and every day, and then from time to time, bigger things. So I hope you're uh, you're planning to do that. I uh, do want to encourage people, if you do want to call in, don't wait till the second half of the hour. A lot of people do that, and we aren't able to uh, get to some of those calls or spend enough time on those that we'd like to. Uh, the best time to call in, honestly, is right now. So if you have a question that you think that uh, is uh, trite, there are no trite questions. There are great questions that probably somebody else is thinking the same thing and is not calling in or maybe not able to call in. So the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 A couple of questions about vaccines. You know, you've heard a lot in the news about vaccinations for COVID and how that is going along and, along and how it might be affected uh, as, as time goes on. And uh, you know, vaccines, there's a lot of misconception about that. It is a extremely complicated science that involves multiple steps to ensure that vaccinations produce their desired effect, which is allowing the body 
uh, to be trained to recognize either a virus or a bacteria and make antibodies and uh, pr appropriately use the body's immune system to clear that out before disease sets in, or at least to lessen that in some kind of way. So as you know, uh, treatment-wise, we, we have learned an awful lot in the last few months about how to treat COVID. Uh, that in part is uh, resulted in a lot of decreased deaths, particularly those who are the sickest from COVID. Um, but still, even then, uh, it is a highly contagious virus that causes a lot of inflammatory problems in the body, uh, and particularly for those who have uh, severe illnesses, they uh, don't fare too well. So vaccinations could potentially, uh, if they work appropriately, uh, to train whoever receives those uh, immune systems to um, really mount up an immune response to the virus, that's the best thing. A uh, little bit of the science behind it. So basically, there's certain uh, vaccines. There's a lot of different companies worldwide. Uh, five major companies in the U.S., AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, Merck, Moderna, and Pfizer of all uh, are in the running to uh, develop a vaccination. Uh, Pfizer and Moderna are two of the ones that are sort of the front runners right now with uh, those vaccinations. And basically, you can vaccinate to, uh, to uh, using a, a lot of different methods. Uh, for instance, the outer covering of the virus has uh, proteins that are attached to it and look sort of like sticky little uh, 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 sticks that have like a ball-like structure on it. And that's the first thing that the body encounters when it encounters the virus. And it also allows the virus to adhere to cells and infect those cells. So a lot of the vaccinations are using that. Now, you don't want to use the actual virus. Usually you use parts of it or you use a killed version of it. Uh, most of the techniques are involving two different ways to look at that. So one is looking at those outside viral proteins on the surface of the virus and combining that with other known viruses. For instance, there is one that's used actually in Oxford University in the UK uh, that's using a chimp adenovirus, and they have adapted that and sort of put some of the spiky protein parts on the outside of COVID onto that virus. The chimp adenovirus is not one that infects humans, uh, but it does. And the early trials, it's very promising. Actually, Oxford's probably one of the, the um, uh, early front runners worldwide. Uh, they've got about 100,000 patients that they're testing that in, in, the, in three countries. And some of the early results are very, very promising. Uh, they might have that vaccine out by September. Uh, most of the U.S. Um, uh, vaccinations are um, probably later in the year. Uh, Pfizer might be uh, approved by the FDA to be used uh, as early as October, but it's probably looking more like December or maybe the early part of, of 2021. And again, other countries are, are doing this. Uh, you know, a, a lot of them are trying to... Uh, to come up with their own vaccinations. The EU has uh, several. Uh, the Chinese uh, are developing three different vaccinations, one of which is uh, already, uh, they're planning on mass production in the hundreds of millions of vaccines. So a little bit more on this later. We're gonna go to our uh, first caller and I, I 
forgot the name there from Natchez. Uh, so it's Charles from Natchez. Charles, thank you for calling this morning. Yeah, I, thank you, Doctor. Uh, I listen to the show all the time, and I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm calling some of the latest treatment options as it relate to enlarged prostate. I currently take uh, four milligrams capsulosin. Sometimes it do, do all right, but there are those times where I'm still in considerable discomfort and up all night. What are some of the latest options for treatment? So uh, for males, as you, you probably know, Charles, uh, the prostate gland uh, sits around the urethra. And the problem is, is it gets bigger as you get older. So that tissue can continue to grow bigger. It, you know, sometimes prostate cancer certainly is one of the things that men are screened for and, uh, and worry about, particularly if they have symptoms. But uh, even if you don't have that, uh, you know, the enlargement of the gland around the urethra, the, the tube that connects the bladder to the outside of the body, that, that can be obstructed and you can have problems with your urinary stream. So those are the problems that prostate enlargement can cause. Uh, as you mentioned, there's a couple of different treatments that are focused on the, some of the receptors in the prostate gland. And uh, some of those are alpha blockers. Some of those are more specific to uh, hormones, male hormones that stimulate that prostate tissue to grow. And if you block them for long enough, a lot of times you can slow down that growth and even regress the prostate over time. It's not, it's not really predictable. In other words, you know, you really need to try this. And the frustrating thing is it can take months to see results. So it's not something, you know, sometimes we've, physicians, we, we forget to tell people, you know, what to expect. Uh, I try to tell my patients, hey, we can put you on this medication to try to shrink the prostate, but it may take weeks to months to do that, and it may not work. We just have to sort of try it out because everybody's a little bit different. You mentioned one of the most, most common ones, uh, Tamsulosin or uh, Flomax. Uh, so that's one that's been used for a long time. And again, it blocks those receptors on the prostate tissue to help shrink that prostate over time. There are surgical approaches to do that. Um, so it's, you know, those are, do have some complications. Uh, you know, the, there are lots and lots of nerves around that prostate. So you can have some problems with erectile dysfunction after a lot of those surgeries, but they've gotten a lot better with those. They do some of those endoscopy, uh, through endoscopy. So they basically put a tube up the urethra and they use uh, lots of different techniques like uh, thermal and uh, an ultrasound to, uh, to try to decrease that size. As far as other medications to use, there's not a whole lot out there that I'm aware of. You do want to make sure you're not taking any medications that can uh, interfere with that process. You know, uh, testosterone has become favorable for a lot of people for some uh, you know, aging-related symptoms. A lot of men are taking that, and a lot that's being prescribed to a lot of men. Uh, it's really can have a lot of side effects, and it's not really hard and fast. A lot of people feel better, but there's not a whole lot of data to suggesting that it improves or prolongs your life. Uh, that can actually stimulate the prostate to enlarge more. So certainly, if you're taking anything like that, you don't need to do that. But as far as any new medications, those two big classes of medications that are used, there's not really anything new out there that I'm aware of uh, to treat it. And you can have more than one medication. So 
My suggestion would be if you're not seeing a urologist at this point and you've been on that tamsulosin for a long period of time, uh, for several months, you may want to request a uh, consultation with a urologist. Uh, those are those are the guys that uh, that are going to be the specialists in taking care of, of the prostate, um, and they may be able to to give you some different solutions, including multiple medications, because it can be a big pain. Uh, you can have can't get to the bathroom fast enough. Certainly can have urine overflow up lot, lots at night. It can interfere with your sleep, so it's important to get that treated. But that would be my suggestion to you, Charles. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. If you're a parent on the go but still want to stay informed about your children's education, subscribe to Mississippi Education Connections podcast and listen on the go anytime, anywhere on your favorite podcast app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, taking your calls about your health or the health of somebody else that's uh, near and dear to you. You can reach us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. And you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Got uh, one caller already, Charles from uh, from Natchez had called in and uh, got uh, one or more caller that we're going to get to in a minute. And also uh, some more information about vaccines, particularly as they relate to COVID-19. Lots of good information out there about what's in the pipeline, what are the probabilities that they're going to be useful and uh, sort of what to uh, to expect from that. So we're going to get to that in just a minute. But first, we're going to go to Paula in Hattiesburg. Thank you for calling, Paula. Yes, good morning. How are you doing? Great. How about yourself? I'm doing great this morning. I was calling. Um, I've had some problems, and I've pr- practically, I guess, diagnosed it myself. It's with athlete foot and uh, some fungus issues, I guess, and been just dealing with it over about 20 years. And I've not taken any oral medications with it, but I just do... I was looking for some home remedies and natural things to do for it. I just manage it in the summertime using antifungal creams. I've used some tea tree oil and uh, a cream that my husband uses. Um, it's a prescription one, ketoconazole cream, uh, yeah. 2%. It does help. So, But I was just looking for some other alternatives. Sure. So, you know, particularly here in the South, athlete's foot is certainly very prevalent. A lot of people have that. The reason it, it's sort of seasonal, it has to do with the humidity and moisture. So uh, it's caused by a fungus. I know that sounds terrible. People are like, I got a fungus on me. But uh, again, it's very common. I've had this myself. Um, but in the South, in particular, in high humidity areas, 
anywhere that's going to have more moisture around the skin, that's where fungus likes to hide out. And uh, the other misconception is that, you know, this is something that is a hygiene problem. It's certainly not. Uh, fungus is ubiquitous around us. It's everywhere if you look for it. Uh, remember one of our uh, first microbiology experiments in college is we took a Petri dish and we put it near the air conditioner vent in our uh, dorm room and had a bunch of molds and fungus and all kinds of stuff growing out of it. So it's nasty, but it's everywhere, uh, particularly in high humid uh, humidity and, and high um, uh, moist environments. So the feet, because they sweat, because they're covered up, uh, socks, shoes, certainly all those things in certain people can predispose them to getting fungal infections. Polly, you mentioned a couple of the more common things over the counter. Uh, Lotrimin cream, things that have clotrimazole, those are antifungal medications in those that can help decrease that fungal infection in the skin around the feet. Uh, the cream, the uh, low cream that your uh, or ointment that your husband was using, the ketoconazole, is another antifungal medication, very effective topically. Uh, there's a number of fungi that uh, that can cause this. If you want to get fancy, you can actually go to the dermatologist, and they can take some skin scrapings uh, of your feet and and culture out what that fungus is and get a little bit more specific. Uh, the biggest things are prevention and trying to decrease the moisture content. You know, if you could uh, not wear socks or shoes for a while, that certainly would help out to dry out that skin because a drier environment is not going to be one that fungi like. So they're not going to grow as much in that. And then other things to, to keep in mind, a lot of people, I know Dr. Deshaies used to tell, say this all the time about fungal infections in the feet is making sure that you towel off, uh, you know, your, your toes and in between your toes after you take a shower or a bath. That's extremely important in getting that skin dried off before you put your shoes on. Uh, systemic fungal medications are sometimes used uh, to treat more severe infections that, that can't be taken care of by the topical medications. And again, these are, these are common things, Lamisil, uh, ketoconazole has been used orally, uh, and it does it does help in most instances. If you're going to do that, you need to, you know, that's a prescription medication. You need to talk to your physician about that because there can be s some systemic side effects and uh, interactions with other medications that you might be taking. Uh, one thing to bring up is sometimes you can get fungal infections in your toenails. So if that's the case, Topical uh, antifungal medications are probably not going to clear that up completely, and you need to, to see a physician about uh, getting an oral medication if that's the case. But it's it's a it's a fact about living in our moist environments. You said it, summertime tends to be the worst time of the year for that, um, and uh, all the you really have to have a multiple different thing sort of approach to that. Anything that increases. The moisture content, though, you have to be careful with that. I know you said tea tree oil. I've heard a lot of people use that. Uh, sort of a weak antifungal effect to it. But I would be careful with anything that, I know that's oil-based, but, but anything that can increase the moisture content around that skin and on your feet uh, is probably going to contribute to the fungus hanging around for a little bit longer. Okay. Thank you very much. All right, Paula. Good luck to you. 
All right, we've got uh, another caller on the phone. we got Floyd from Tupelo. Good morning, Floyd. Thank you for calling. Hey, how you doing? Good. What's your uh, question this morning? Well, in 2008, I, uh, I'm a truck driver, and I had a real bad swelling in my left leg uh, from the knee down to the foot. Uh-huh. And uh, they said it was cellulitis. And uh, they put me on an infection medicine at the hospital and got the swelling down. Then put then put me on a a water a water fluid pill. And uh, they said my blood pressure was a little high, so they started me on a blood pressure pill. And uh, well, the, I got a discoloration in my leg. It's uh, purple and dark, uh, real dark purple. And I was wondering, if there's any way to get that color out of my leg? Yeah, so um, you've described very nicely sort of what uh, several different conditions that can go hand in hand that can increase your risk of infection in the skin. Cellulitis just means there's an infection in the skin and the soft tissues below that. Uh, It's more common in the extremities, particularly the lower extremities, particularly as you get older. Um, You know, Floyd, you're in a profession as a truck driver where your, you know, your legs are dependent, meaning they're, they're below you most of the day and you're not moving around as much just because of your work that you, you know, that, that you could if you're walking around. So all that sort of a setup for blood to pool in the lower extremities and to not get recirculated back through your heart. And uh, if that happens long enough over time, in some individuals, it can set up sort of this situation of getting infections there. You need that constant blood flow and return uh, back to the heart to prevent that. Um, cellulitis is an infection by a bacteria, so you need antibiotics to adequately treat that. But sometimes other medications can help, uh, both in the treatment and prevention. You mentioned a diuretic. I'm, I'm betting that's probably something like hydrochlorothiazide to use to treat blood pressure. And if you have any swelling in your legs, sometimes that can help out, uh, particularly when, um, when you first start that. And then the other discoloration that you're describing, sort of the purplish dark color, I'm, I'm betting that's probably more so on the front part of your legs and the back. That's called uh, uh, venous stasis disease. So again, the longer that blood sits around in the lower extremities, it can pool and break down. And the pigment in blood that gives it its red color, uh, after that breaks down from the red blood cells, it can be deposited in the skin and it's called hemosiderin, and it can turn the skin either dark bronzy brown or reddish color or even purple color. And so it's not the same necessarily as you're not getting enough blood to those extremities. It's the veins that bring that blood back to the heart may not be working adequately. And again, that that can cause pain in your legs. That can cause that discoloration. There's different things you can do, and I, this, this was one that's not popular with a lot of guys, but uh, compression hose, particularly in a profession where you're in a tr- you know, in that cab and driving a truck, uh, can help a lot. And basically what you're doing is you're using external compression around the lower part of the leg to get that blood flow back up. And it can help yeah. long-term to prevent a lot of infections and a lot of those other symptoms that go along with it. Once you get well, that discoloration, those. go ahead. Well, I use those. I use them all the time. 
Good, uh, good. Compression hoses? Yeah, but I, I was just wondering if there's any way to get that color to go away. Yeah, is there anything? Yeah, that was, yeah, that was my next point. It, once it gets okay. deposited in the skin, a lot of times it doesn't go away, unfortunately. So there's not much you can do. Even if you see a dermatologist, there's not, um, there's not, you know, a whole lot that they can do for that. That pigment is almost like a tattoo. It sort of stays there, you know, pretty much much forever. You can treat the other complications of it, but and getting out and moving around can help too. And walking around when you can, you know, in between stretches of of driving. But there's not much to do for that. I'm glad you're wearing the compression hose. That can help. Um, and there are wound care clinics that can do wraps if you have flare-ups, and it's important to get get it checked and treated earlier rather than later because that can that can get worse and develop into a cellulitis again. Yeah, it was real painful. Let me tell you, you don't want to get it. Yeah, no, you don't. <laughs> You're right about that. I've seen some yeah. horrendous cellulitis like that. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with it this morning. Lots of good calls so far. We've got three people on the line right now. Willie from Vidalia, Jerry from Bay Springs, and Shundalyn from Olive Branch. Going to try to get to y'all as soon as possible. Uh, but uh, if you would like to call in, the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Willie from Vidalia first. Morning, Willie. Morning. How you doing? Good. Thanks for calling. What I'm calling for, um, I had a hundred removed in my left side back in last year in November. But what, uh-huh. I, I'm still, it's still kind of being sore there, and and when I bend and move around a little bit, and I did check back with my doctor but to try to find out to get an appointment with him. I thought they have an appointment with him on that later this month. But what I'm saying, and I, I was talking to a nurse that I work with at the hospital, at the uh, medical center, and uh, she told me that they got a recall on some of them honey mat that they use. So I don't know whether I was that did he use any of that? That's why I want to go back to him to talk to him about it. So I would get some input on that. Have you all heard anything about that? Yeah, and I'm assuming Willie was that hernia in your groin or was it somewhere else? It was in it was right at right right at the lower of my groin, right at the top of my groin. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So uh, there's different ways to repair those. You know, several decades ago they started using mesh. 
uh, as part of the repair. And these mesh are made out of different substances. And basically what that allows you to do is to not have a, as big an opening or a big a scar and have a quicker recovery time than you used to. However, some, not all, but some of those mesh products were found uh, over time to cause uh, some problems. And that can be problems from in secondary infection to erosion into uh, several structures that were right up next to where those were put in. Uh, so there have been some recalls on that. Uh, now, generally speaking, if you're not having any problems, they don't go in and remove those. But uh, if you are having problems, your surgeon may want to reevaluate you to say, you know, well, should we go back in? Should we repair this differently? And any kind of surgical repair of a hernia carries the risk of uh, down the line, uh, you know, years, decades, uh, it can, uh, you know, you can redevelop one around that site. So none of them are a hundred percent sure they're pretty close. Um, but, uh, a lot of them have to go back in for various reasons, but I would talk to them about that again. It's not all mesh. It's just some of the mesh products. They're going to know exactly what they put in you, uh, right. based on the past surgery. Uh, but you do need to get that checked out. I, I agree with that completely. But so the questions to ask your surgeon is, do you think what I'm, you know, is to tell them exactly the, the, the uh, discomfort that you're having and the problems that you're having with it uh, so that they understand that they're going to do an exam on you. And then to ask them, do you think this is related to the mesh? Do you think this is something else that's going on? So those are the questions to ask them, uh, right. but they're going to mm -hmm. know, you know, sort of what to do with it based on that. Okay. I appreciate it. All right, Willie. Good luck to you. Let's go to uh, Jerry from Bay Springs. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning. Love your show. Oh, thank you so much for listening and for calling. Sure. I have a friend who woke up the other morning and her body was covered with little red dots, spots. Um, they're probably three-quarter to an inch apart all over her, the trunk of her body, legs, and arms. And uh, when I looked at her, I said, measles. It looks like measles. And she said, well, she'd had measles before, and she'd had vaccination before, and uh, the spots were not itching, and they're not weeping or anything like chicken pox. But that's what it looked like. Any ideas? Yeah, that, that kind of, I, you know, that's something that we usually call an exanthem, uh, which just is a fancy term for a rash that you described. Uh, it can be caused by a number of things. The, the pattern that you described and the way that, it, that uh, you described that, it uh, sounds to me like it could be caused by a virus. Now, a lot of different viruses can cause that. There are adenoviruses, enteroviruses, and sometimes that can be the only symptom. You don't have to have a fever with those. A lot of them have what we call a centripetal uh, um, uh, way that they present. So then, in other words, they'll start on the trunk first and then they'll move outward through the arms and legs. Uh, now, measles, you're right, you know, it, it does present usually with a uh, uh, high fever, with a particular rash. That rash does not look like chickenpox, so it looks different than that. Chickenpox, as you said, almost looks like little ant bites all over, and it, uh, it presents differently. It usually presents the first time you have it. Um, in the hairline and on the body, and then it travels outward, and then you have crusting at different times of those lesions. Uh, measles, 
uh, is usually a, a flatter sort of reddish rash. One other thing that's particular about measles is you can have what's called coplic spots, that's with a K, in the inside of the mouth. And those are little white spots with a red base. Uh, if you look in the mouth, sometimes you can see that. Now, if they had measles as a child and they also were vaccinated, they are unlikely, this is unlikely to have measles. The only other time that you might have that is with waning immunity over time and an exposure. So in, in Mississippi, thankfully, we don't have a lot of measles exposures. In fact, we rarely have that. Uh, usually that's from somebody who is not vaccinated who has measles, develops it, or from another country that's coming through and exposes people. Measles is, is highly contagious. It is an airborne uh, disease, much more contagious than COVID-19. Uh, so if somebody is exposed to it, particularly in a, in a building uh, or an enclosed space, you can get it. I would say this probably isn't measles, though. Um, I haven't heard any outbreaks. If if, you, if they have a high fever, if they have any kind of like little white spots on the inside of their mouth, they need to call their physician immediately. I would not go immediately to that physician's office, but call them first uh, because of how infectious this is. Um, but individuals who aren't immunized or have lost their immunity over time, and that does happen, you can see that. That's why it's important in, in something like measles that we get enough people that are vaccinated, enough people that have that immunity, that uh, even if you lose that immunity, there's not enough of it in the community to help protect everybody else. Uh, but that doesn't quite sound like measles. It probably is a viral exanthem. Most of those go away. By the time you have a rash, the other symptoms, if you have any, are going away. But if it doesn't go away another day or two, uh, I'd probably call uh, call their physician's office and just see if they can uh, if they want to see them. All right, Jerry, thank you for calling. We're going to go to uh, Shundalin from uh, Olive Branch. I hope I pronounced your your name right there, Shundalin. Yes, you did. What's your question for the day? I have plantar fasciitis. And yeah. I have tried everything. I ice my foot. I wear a sling at night. I do scratches. Last year, I think it was like February, I had the steroid shot. And it lasted probably about a good five months. And I know it's probably not helping by being on my feet at work. But I'm like, what? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to have surgery. And I don't. And I was reading that it's not good, you know, to get those shots often. But when I got the shots, you know, it lasted like six, like five to six months. So do you have, yeah. what can I do? Because my feet is, is, is like, just hurt so bad. Yeah, it can be extremely painful. Uh, so uh, you are intimately uh, aware of what's going on. Um, but uh, for everybody else out there, the plantar fascia is a, uh, is a band of connective tissue that connects the balls of your feet to the heel of your foot. And basically it helps to, uh, sort of support that arch in your foot uh, to take some of the the uh, the pressure off um, off of uh, those other tissues. And if it can get inflamed or stretched too much, uh, then you can get what's called plantar fasciitis, which is usually extremely painful, sharp pain right on the bottom of your foot. Most people will say it hurts the worst when they get out of bed in the morning and when their foot hits the ground. Usually, it gets better later in the day, and that's because you stretch that fascia out, you stretch it out over the day, 
the things you mentioned, stretching exercises, uh, all those things can help over time. Icing it down can help sometimes and some gentle massage. Uh, but uh, for a lot of people, it can continue to be a problem to the point where they have to see somebody and get injections. The steroid injections really decrease the inflammation. And you're right, it's not recommended that you get multiple injections just because those steroids do hang around uh, over time. Surgery uh, is a last resort. Uh, if you talk to orthopedic uh, foot specialists, they'll tell you, you know, rarely is that something that, uh, that is going to cure that completely. The other thing that I've seen to be, and you may have already tried this, I didn't hear you mention it, but orthotics, which are inserts or special shoes that you can wear, can sometimes help with that. It is encouraging, I think, that it got better with time, but came back so that there may be some other things that you can do. If you go to a good physical therapist, and, and a lot of times a podiatrist, I've used those with, in conjunction with a lot of these other things with my patients, and they have been able to construct or, or had certain types of shoes that can help. Wearing heels uh, in, in, in women, uh, that can be a problem just because you're, you shorten that fascia over time throughout the day. So if you're doing that, I certainly wouldn't do that. It would try to uh, maybe reconnect with your uh, orthopedic surgeon to see if there's anything else to do for that. Uh, the other thing that is fairly new is ultrasound therapy. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've tried that yet either. No. But I that's something that a lot of people are doing. And really what that does is it breaks up that scar tissue right around that fascia. It's not really painful in any way, uh, but a lot of physical therapists are doing that now. Uh, you know, that you have to work with your, your orthopedic surgeon for that or your foot doctor for that, but that's something else to try. I've known a couple of people that have okay. gotten that and had really good results from it. So it's ultrasound therapy. So if you call them and ask them about that, they may be, you know, that can point you in the right direction. Okay, so do most uh, podiatrists know about that? Well, they can refer it. Yeah, me. the orthopedic surgeons will know about it um, oh, more than anybody. Any but uh, okay. if you're seeing a podiatrist, that's fine. You can ask them about it. But I'd, I'd probably call the orthopedic surgeon's office and ask okay. them about that. And Thank most you. of the time, those are those are the physical therapists that are doing it. Sometimes they'll do it in the office, uh, the physician's okay. office. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult and yes you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things listen to Fix It 101 podcast everywhere. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Southern Remedy on Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning and uh, lots of good calls about all kinds of different things. Uh, we do encourage you to call. Uh, when you do call, uh, call early. Uh, we'd like to get to you and give you some time uh, to 
fully explore things. Some things take a little bit more explaining than others. So the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We do realize that not everybody can, uh, can call in from time to time. So you can always email us, not just when we're on the air. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. And if you miss part of our programs, you can always go to our website, mpbonline.org, and search Southern Remedy. All of our Southern Remedy programs are archived there, so uh, it takes us about a day to get those up. But maybe you missed part of the discussion on a particular question, and you want to go back and um, and read that. You certainly can do that at your uh, at your leisure. Uh, that again, that's at mpbonline.org. Got a couple of emails that I wanted to uh, to go over here. Um, uh, you know, one of the misconceptions about COVID nineteen uh, it, it did have, it, this was not a misconception, it did come, you know, genetically, if you look at it from a, a bat, probably, uh, or other animal mammal vectors. Um, that's pretty common for coronaviruses. Uh, they're, they're similar to flu in that they infect other things uh, other than humans, other mammals. Um, one of the questions was, you know, since this, this one of the earliest um, uh, uh, places where it was identified was in uh, in China at a, a meat and fish market. And the question was, should we go vegan? Uh, so even if you went vegan, uh, you didn't really get this from eating it. It was more from the close proximity from it. So uh, while vegan certainly has a lot of advantages to a lot of people and uh, that there's a lot of health benefits that you can do from that, that probably wouldn't, uh, you know, that probably wouldn't eliminate all of our risk from viruses like this. Biggest risk, of course, is lots of people all in the same space. So some of our larger cities around the world are at a much bigger risk for any infectious disease, not just COVID-19. And anytime you have a lot of these diseases that have, uh, you know, a high prevalence in animal populations, uh, they can spread from those to humans, again, in close proximity. So uh, just uh, just wanted to address that there. We've got another caller on the line. We've got uh, Tim, who's been patiently waiting. Good morning, Tim. Hey, good morning. What's your question this morning? Uh, thank you. Uh, I was just listening to your remedies for a caller with a head plantar fasciitis. Uh-huh. And... I had I'm having problems with my heel, uh, similar problems to hers, and it is very painful. I went to a, a physician, and he recommended. He said I had plantar. I mean, he said I had fibromycosis, and he recommended a a small, uh, a small support brace on the back of my heel around my foot yeah. to help keep a little pressure on it. I believe. And, uh, yeah, that, that's basically the same thing. It's a little bit more fancier term for it, but um, it's it's pretty similar. You basically do the same thing. You can have a heel wedge that you can use, and again, that takes a little bit of the pressure off that that fascia to to decrease the stretching of it uh, while you're up and about. Uh, one of the other risk factors is excess weight. So if you have weight gain, a lot of people will say, well, that's that's when they notice it. Uh, or increase, uh, you know, pounding on that on that foot. I, I had this when college, uh, 
during college when I was running uh, cross country. So, uh, you know, it's it's not all always uh, related to that. But yeah, Tim, that's that's one of the things that you can do. It's it's almost like a little wedge uh, that you can put underneath the heel. And again, when I mentioned, I should have explained better on orthotics. Orthotics are sort of inserts that are specially molded and adapted to an individual person's foot to place that foot at different positions when they walk or when they stand for long periods of time. And that can be uh, something that goes along the whole foot uh, that's molded uh, in a certain way and fits inside the shoe. Uh, You take out the shoe insert that comes with it and put this in there or a shoe that's specially designed that way or can be something like that heel wedge. Uh, so that's another common thing that that has been tried, and I uh, appreciate you sharing that with us. Was that effective in your case? No, sir. I, I did uh, I did therapy with it, uh, the stretches. I uh, did the ice on the rolling on the bottom of it. I went and had some orthotics that they because I don't have much of an arch in my foot. Uh, they went ahead and and uh, like you said, special made the orthotics for it. And it just increased right. pain. And he told me that, that my tissue uh, on my heel, my, my little fatty tissues and whatnot, had been suppressed. I, like, I didn't have much down there. Yeah, and that's a possibility. Uh, so there are things that support the arch, and there are also some things that help with cushioning. And because everybody's a little different genetically and uh, and what happens over time uh, as you get older, you can lose some of that, and it may be a, a challenge to doing that. So it sounds like in your case, unfortunately, it may be a little bit more challenging to treat that. Uh, oh, definitely. And, and another thing to keep in mind is, you know, it's a very common thing. I treat it myself and, and send people to physical therapy. But when you have cases like yours, Tim, you may want to go to a specialist if you haven't already that, you know, that that's what they look at. Like that, the only thing they look at is, um, is your feet. So that's, um, that's something to think about. Right. Okay. Well, I did also the steroid shots and, and I had yeah. no comfort from them. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Those can be pretty painful and they can help some in some people, but can be, it can be challenging to deal with that. Yeah. All right, Tim, you have a great day. Uh, we've got a little less than a minute left. I did want to mention one thing about testing with COVID. There's different uh, things out there. Two big testing categories. One test for the viral particles itself, and there's two ways to do that. You can test for DNA, and you can also test for that outside of the capsule. The DNA test is, a, sorry, I said DNA, I meant RNA. That test is a little bit more sensitive, so it's a little bit more accurate in picking up things. Uh, it does depend on different ways that you collect it. And unfortunately, the best way right now in symptomatic people especially is to do that nasal, deep nasal swab or the back of the mouth, which is a little uncomfortable. Saliva is less likely to give you a positive result. If you're in a hospital, there's a couple other ways to do that. So uh, just keep that in mind. Now, the antibody testing is different. It takes about one to three weeks to uh, develop those antibodies. So it is not a useful test to see if you've had it right now. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. 
For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.